Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everything, jobs, population, they all affect those two things, supply and demand. If you can interpret a market based on supply and demand, then you know where the future growth is, is going to be. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're chatting with Jeremy Shepard from Empower Wealth who has created an algorithm determining where the market will grow in the future. Merging computer programming with property, follow the ups and downs of Shepard's journey from tenants creating $13,000 worth in damage to simply taking his eye off the ball. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Working for a company that provides professional advice for investors on how to build a wealthier future, Shepard describes himself as a data geek. I'm the Director of Research at Empower Wealth. So, what that means is I'm the guy that's uh, buried in data every week looking for capital growth hotspots that suit our clients' budgets. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. Just a, a data geek really, capital growth data geek. I love that. And it's, it's important because the data that you put together can either help people make a, a really informed decision or turn, I guess, different deals away. So, it makes it very, very concise so that they can take action on what they need to do to fit within the budget. Oh yeah, it's it's extremely important. Um, I mean, you you pay uh, hundreds of dollars to find out about uh, building and pest inspections before you you buy a property. I mean, you wouldn't do without that. And and I think just having a look at some of the data, those sort of reports, um, they're, they're so cheap and they they make such a difference to an investor's um, future with a property. It's 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 sort of crucial kind of stuff. And it, it's so easy to become biased about uh, particular suburbs. And uh, looking at things numerically helps us avoid that sort of bias. So, it's, it's handy for a number of reasons. In his role as a research director, what does he do in any given day? There's a combination of things. So, first of all, I spend a lot of my time doing um, uh, product development. So, I've got a couple of new products, new websites will be coming out in the next uh, year or two. And uh, there's obviously keeping existing websites running. And uh, the key focus is to make sure that clients uh, are fed the right property uh, to, to invest in. Uh, now, I don't actually pick any 
properties. I don't even go down to street level. But what I'm doing is supplying our buyers' agents with a list of suburbs that I recommend for a range of prices that suit their clients. And once a month, we meet together and I do a presentation. I say, here's what's happening in the market. Here's what's happening around the country. Um, this is business as usual. This looks interesting. Here's, here's something more to watch. Um, and we should probably stop getting into this market and start getting into that market. So it's it's those sorts of things. And it's my, my analysis is really just um, all the numbers, the numerical stuff. So I don't do any... Uh, field research, but the buyer's agents uh, cover that side. So it's it's sort of a merger of fundamental research and uh, technical research that we do once a month. And then they'll go off and um, pick locations that are uh, a combination. They have a good good numerical, good data background, and they also have something else that they're aware of that's that's going on that's that's good. And so it's sort of that intersection of of fundamental research and technical research that uh, that we do each month. While the majority of Shepherd's accumulated data is directly towards buyers agents, there is a secondary website which was created for individuals who want to do the research themselves. We often get uh, people just wanting to know about locations, but um, my my primary objective is to supply the buyers agents with those with those suburbs and uh, something that suits suits their clients. So I don't actually have a client facing role. I just have a I have a computer facing role, a database <laughs> facing role, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's all about the number crunching. Um, but it's possible. Um, I mean, we, we kicked off this website um, around July of last year, Location Score, and that's for some of the investors who who want to do it themselves. They don't want to hire a buyer's agent, um, and and we can't service all of Australia, obviously. So. Uh, we thought, well, let's let's give away some of the data, and and that was the purpose of Location Score. They can do some quick, easy sort of research, not the sort of in-depth stuff that I do every month, but at least enough to avoid buying in a danger zone. You know, it'll it'll flag warnings, trigger alarm bells, that sort of thing. Um, so we do provide some of that data uh, for the general public, um, but most of the the nitty-gritty that I'm working on day-to-day is, is for the buyer's agents. Initially growing up in the inner city of New South Wales, Shepherd has since moved to a different part of the country for work. I grew up in Western Sydney. Um, yeah, worked, worked a lot of my life in Western Sydney. I live in Melbourne now, um, but um, yeah, almost all of my life I've lived in Western Sydney. Oh, okay. That's, that's an interesting change. So why, why move down to Melbourne? Well, it was uh, it was for this role as director of research for Empower Wealth that um, I couldn't really pass up that opportunity. Um, uh, the guys here had um, uh, been looking around for someone who could uh, help them open up new markets, and um, I was looking to link arms with with a, a great uh, investment team. So um, yeah, it just seemed like uh, the opportunity of a lifetime. Really, that I couldn't pass up. So I left, left family and friends behind and, um, and enjoying Melbourne where every day is sunny and rainy. And <laughs> actually, I don't mind the, the weather here. It's, yeah. it's okay. You get to wear jackets a lot more often than in Sydney. Living in both Mount Druitt and Parramatta, he completed his university education at UTS. So I studied electrical engineering at the University of Technology in Sydney and um, Oh, before I even finished that, um, I was getting jobs in IT, uh, part-time sort of work, 
and this is prior to the dot-com crash, and so uh, the money was pretty good in IT, and I, I never actually practiced as an engineer. I, I became a computer programmer and uh, started doing contract work um, and then thought, well, where am I going to put my ill-gotten gains? And I started investing in shares, actually, um, until oh, everything sort of came undone and I realised uh, I'm not a very good share investor. I really don't know which way share prices are heading. Um, and uh, that's that's what got me into into real estate, actually. I was looking for some other investment vehicle. Mm, that's a very interesting story. And I was about to ask you, <laughs> how did you actually jump straight into for intellectual engineering into IT, which is, yeah, it, it, it's very, it's a left-center kind of, you know, uh, area that you jumped into because, I mean, Engineering is nowhere near computer programming. <laughs> yeah, well, it was. I suppose it was electrical engineering slash computer systems engineering. Towards the end of the degree, I chose more of the computer systems type of, of subjects. But um, yeah, it was it was a part time uh, course. So during the during the time that I was working, I just found it a lot easier to get uh, jobs, uh, computer programming. And so the hardware side of things sort of faded and the software side uh, just, uh, you know, I excelled in and there were so many more job opportunities. It just became easier to move in, in that direction. And once you've got that on your resume, of course, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a flow-on effect. Mm. You've got that momentum. In terms of jobs Shepard undertook after university, he did a lot of contract work from a macroeconomic perspective. There was uh, Department of Immigration, uh, Commonwealth Superannuation. Uh, I did some work with um, uh, Department of Infrastructure Planning and Natural Resources. Um, so it was all contract work. Uh, so it might be only a three-month contract or it might be a three-year contract. But yeah, always always contract work. Um, Java programming, website programming, um, bit of database, that sort of thing. What led Shepard to invest in property was the experience of watching his shares plummeting due to an incorrect prediction. Ultimately, he now prefers the tangibility of property investing. So I barely knew what was going on from a, um, what would you call it, a subject to domain sort of side of things. I was really just, I just had my head buried in the code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and back then when I was doing all this contracting work, I was I was right into shares. I was thinking this is, this is the best place to put my money and um, yeah it all, all came undone uh, well it was sort of a bit by bit thing and then and then uh, there was the uh, 9-11 attacks and and I had a huge exposure to News Corp shares and um, it's funny because weeks afterwards it was just 24-7 news but I would have thought if any company's going to make any money out of a disaster like this it would be a news company but the shares plummeted and 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 this was the the stereotypical thing for me with shares. So whatever was announced in the media, whatever came out, I just interpreted it somehow the wrong way. Someone knew something that I didn't know, and and the shares just moved in the opposite direction to what I thought they'd logically move. And uh, that's what I find so attractive about real estate. You just have to think like a human being that wants to live somewhere, and that's that's really easy. It's easy to think that way. And uh, instead of competing against uh, share investors, you're not really competing with anyone in real estate. You're just uh, you're just thinking like an investor, knowing that the the dominant force in the market are just people who need a, a roof over their head at night. 
From the computing side of things, he was recommended to attend an event which showed him the way to get into property and use it as an investment vehicle. Things went pretty ugly um, shares-wise, but a, a friend of mine said, uh, come along to a, a seminar, it's a freebie. Um, this guy's talking about uh, shares and real estate. And um, I thought, oh, well, I'll ignore the real estate stuff, I'm not into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I'll just see what he's got to say about uh, investing in shares. And um, it was actually about uh, writing covered call options over over contracts of shares, which I thought was, was kind of interesting. And um, But then when everything went pear-shaped, um, I remembered some of the content uh, about real estate and I thought about it again and wondered whether uh, it would be better for me to, to give that a go. And um, it was 2002, I bought my, my first property and I was planning to do uh, a reno on it and, and just hang on to it. And um, yeah, I can, I can remember asking some local real estate agents to come in and give me a, a market appraisal and um, uh, yeah, had a, had a bit of a uh, fist punching in the air moment where I just thought, yes, it works. This is, this is it. And uh, so yeah, I went crazy property investing. The rest is now history. However, there has been some trials along the way. It's been a, a gradual process, but like there's been these penny dropping moments where I've realized, oh yeah, that's that's what I was looking for. Um, that's that's why this is easier. This that's why it makes sense. Um, uh, but yeah, I didn't realise at the time. Um, but it, I guess you know I had some unfortunate moments with shares, and uh, and things have gone fortunate for me uh, with real estate. Although that first property that I bought um, in 2002, I had I had tenants move in um, almost the next day after it settled. And uh, they didn't pay a cent in rent, and it took me almost six months to get them out. Um, and uh, they were so disgruntled that they lost their free accommodation that they block, blocked up the drains and left the taps running overnight to, to flood the house. Um, and there was, I think it was something like $13,000 worth of damage. So there were, there were, my point is there were some really negative moments, but um, when it all came together... Um, after the Renault was complete, um, yeah, it was it was a really good feeling to know that I was I was in control. It was something like like you said that I could see that's tangible, and uh, yeah, I'm providing accommodation for someone. So yeah, it all felt good. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Shepard's property investing journey and find out more about the worst tenants ever and how he learnt from his mistakes. That was the first lesson to be learned, that you're not just buying the property. If there's a tenant in it, you've got to research their their history, their rental history as well. Discover the breakthrough aha moment that changed the game for property investing for him. I just wanted the right kind of market and, and I thought, if this is all the data I knew, how would I interpret this metric, this indicator, this statistic from a supply versus demand perspective? and pick out the best market in the country to invest in. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Are you looking at buying or investing in property? Like what are the property hotspots or how do I start my portfolio? Clever ways to renovate and how to make an extra $50,000? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, 
Learn from the experts at the Property Buy Expo in Brisbane on the 26th to 27th of May. Use the promo code PI for a free 2-day pass valued at $50. For tickets and more information, visit the website at propertybuyexpo.com.au. Now back to the show. Shepard learned from his mistakes in the worst tenants ever, then went on to add more to his portfolio. When I think back, um, you know, those are the worst tenants I've ever had. I, I mean, I've bought 16 properties since then and, and never had um, as much drama as that first time. You know, you learn from your mistakes and and that's that's a good thing about real estate too, that uh that you can you get these opportunities to learn. I had no idea what was happening with shares. Um, I, I just I can remember National Australia Bank. This is years ago. They recorded a record profit, and I didn't have any shares at the time. But uh, it was on the news after trading had stopped um, the prior day, and the next morning the, the share price came down, and and that just made no sense at all to me. But I know that if if you've got a house that's close to schools and shops and parks and it's quiet street, people will want to live there and that makes sense. I totally agree and that's that's a fascinating story. Just to clarify, with those tenants, were they before you did the renovation or was that after you did the renovation that they trashed the place? The guy that was selling the property, he had a couple of properties in the area and he had, these tenants were in another one of his properties and he was self-managing. And I wanted vacant possession because I was going to do a reno. And he said, hey, look, I've got some tenants. Do you want them? They'll move in as soon as the property settles. And I said, oh, no, it's all right. I'm, I'm going to do a reno. Uh, but there's a granny flat at the back. And the granny flat was quite new. The house itself was quite old. I was just going to renovate the house. And that's what I wanted vacant possession of. So I thought, all right, we'll, we'll stick them in the, in the granny flat. I'll get a little bit of income while the tradies are working and um, that'll that'll ease the pain of the the renovation. Uh, but the after a, a few weeks, the tradies just said, um, "Tools down. We're not doing any more work until you get rid of those tenants. They're they're stealing our equipment. Uh, they're knocking off tiles, and um, yeah, they they just they just refuse to do any more work. So then it was approached tenancy tribunal, and um, uh, you know, I, I more or less inherited nightmare tenants and yeah that was that was the first lesson to be learned that you're not just buying the property if there's a tenant in it you've got to research their their history their rental history as well and uh yeah so big big lesson learned there there have been many other mistakes he has made throughout his journey however he ensures he never makes one mistake more than six times i've made a lot of mistakes in real estate um I think that you know the great thing about mistakes is if you've got the right attitude, you can learn from them. And so that that first mistake I made was not researching the tenant. Um, I've made other mistakes like trying to renovate um, a property myself. Um, the second property that I bought was only a stone's throw from the first one, and and I thought I'd pictured it like. Um, I'd invite some friends over and, and they might help with the reno and I'll put on a barbecue and it'd be like a Coke commercial, you know, where Esky <laughs> flips open, you've got ice and Coke. It was nothing like that. Nobody turned up and I was there at like nine o'clock at night in the dark just just sanding and sanding and, uh, yeah, that was terribly draining and I realised tradies know what they're doing. They're working on this full time. They, they do it nine to five. They've got all the equipment. 
Um, they do a better job than me. They'll do it quicker than me. And it, it, it's a lot like working a second job when you when you do the do-it-yourself kind of Renault. And, uh, yeah, I decided after that second Renault that that's the last time I'm ever going to do a, a Renault myself. I said the same thing after the third one and the fourth one too. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah, so, so I pride myself on never making the same mistake more than about half a dozen times. By far, his worst mistake was taking his eye off the ball when investing into particular markets. But probably I would say my worst mistake is taking my eye off a property market that I've invested in. Um, I might have picked a really good location for that period of time and I've picked some regional markets. This doesn't really happen so much in the city markets but, but you can easily pick a regional market which is booming and have some fantastic capital growth but it will quite often correct. It'll come back a long way and um, I've bought in um, regional markets in, in Queensland and even in New Zealand where they've had some spectacular capital growth. I've, I've picked the right time into the market and then I've just, it was, it was drummed into me when I was reading the books, going to the seminars, learning all I could about property investing, that you, you buy and never sell. And, and I believe that's, that's a mistake, that you should always be prepared to sell if the circumstance presents itself. And I had bought in some markets. I waited until I got some good capital growth and I borrowed against that equity and bought elsewhere. So my eyes are on the next market, the next boom location. And I'm sort of doing this this leapfrog to just create more and more equity. But when you take your eye off those markets and they do correct, you could end up with some negative equity. And that's that's exactly what happened. And when the GFC hit, I had, um, I had properties that were owned in the name of a trust. I was a contractor and um, I was sourcing finance from um, non-bank lenders and everyone got scared about uh, providing credit. So um, the, the non-bank lenders that I had, their interest rates actually went up. When all the, the banks here in Australia were, were dropping rates to because we're in an economic crisis, my, uh, one of my loans went up to about almost 12%, 11.85%, I remember. And so obviously you want to refinance but everyone's lending policies have become just so much tighter and I've got properties that are interest only in the name of a trust and I'm, I'm a contractor. So nobody wanted to touch me and yet my interest rates are going up and yet prices have come back. Shepard then had no choice but to sell. I had no option but to sell down a significant portion of the portfolio and that's when I realised where a price is at. Oh dear, they've come back and, and I've had to sell for a loss. So, yeah, probably the worst mistake I have made is taking that advice of buy and never sell and then taking my eyes off the market. Now, some people could argue the case that um, if I'd just bought in cities, um, that, that wouldn't have been a problem. But, uh, I mean, Perth's a city. It's the fourth biggest significant urban area in, in Australia. And yet, if you had bought in Perth around 2014-15, you would have had probably some negative equity uh, because of the downturn in the resources. So uh, you can still lose money. There's, there's still markets that can become oversupplied. Uh, there's still corrections that, are, that can occur. And I think every investor just needs to keep an eye on the property market they're exposed to and, and be prepared to, to let go. 
Uh, and yeah, that's that's probably my biggest mistake: locking in a tremendous amount of, of negative equity. However, despite the tribulations he has experienced throughout his journey, he has also had some highs where everything seemed to click into place for him, such as how to create the wow factor via renovating. Yeah, I've had a few aha moments. Uh, one of them early on when I was into renovating, it was just that you're trying to target a property where everywhere you look, there's something that that's not quite right and it just looks ugly, it looks old, it looks worn down and the the sum of all those things makes it look like a terrible property but if you technically look at each one individually and add up the cost and then try and picture the property where everywhere you look it's it's there's some wow factor, it's it's the effect of synergy. You know, synergy works for you when you're trying to find a renovator and it works for you when you're flipping or selling or re- revaluing in that everywhere you look there's a wow factor and and the actual technical cost of each there's there's a discrepancy there so that that was like an aha moment when I was renovating I'm looking for something that that it just it biases me to make me feel like this property is is a dog box but honestly if you look at it from a numerical perspective of how much it would cost to renovate, it's not that bad. And then, of course, after you've renovated and you've got some, you know, everything's shiny and new, um, someone walks in and they go, oh, wow, this is really nice. And then they've got the bias uh, where they're feeling like this property is actually worth more than what it really is. But the most breakthrough moment came when Shepard realized he needed to find a market where the demand exceeds the supply, inspiring his game-changing algorithm. What I'm into now is, is more capital growth thing. You know, when you start off as an investor, you're trying to force the issue. You're not, you're not experienced at picking growth markets. You don't know what to look for. And so a renovation is, is an excellent way to sort of force the issue along because things are in your control and you, you can, it's like working a second job. Late, sooner or later, it's not worth your time. But um, the second aha moment was doing my research, trying to find these growth locations. Um, I realised what I'm after is a market where demand exceeds supply, and and it was how can I how can I identify easily a market where demand exceeds supply? And you've got things like high auction clearance rates. Obviously, when, when auctions are going great, every, there's always a sale, then that's a case of demand exceeding supply. Uh, if properties are snapped up really quickly, that means demand's exceeding supply. If vacancy rates are low, that means demand's... Ex- and so I started looking at, in the back of these magazines, at all this data that they'd have on every suburb. And, and I didn't have a fear of investing interstate. I, that didn't bother me at all. I just wanted the right kind of market and and I thought if this is all the data I knew how would I interpret this metric this indicator this statistic from a supply versus demand perspective and pick out the best market in the country to invest in and and that's when I I put my programming skills to work and um wrote these this this algorithm to acquire all this data and and piece it all together and come up with this uh, demand to supply ratio and that would identify markets that have the most potential for for capital growth and i guess it was just 
yeah, that aha moment was it's all about supply and demand. Everything, jobs, population, they all affect those two things, supply and demand. If you can interpret a market based on supply and demand, then you know where the future growth is, is going to be. With hundreds of data sources available, merging his knowledge of property and computer programming has allowed him to overcome challenges along the way. There's a lot of challenges with it. I mean, there's been some data sources that I've uh, acquired and then had a close look and realised, well, this really isn't telling the story that I, that I thought it would. So sometimes we can get uh, you know, a bit misled that way. Uh, yeah, it, it, I guess it's, it's a case of picturing people in a market and, and what they're after and what they really want and then how that would affect a particular metric, a particular piece of data that someone's recording somewhere. Um, it might be just turning up to open inspections and noticing that there's a, there's a lot of couples here. Um, or it might be, you know, actual auction clearance rates reported by some, some data source or some, some demographics from the ABS. But yeah, it's, I think it, it comes down to trying to interpret as accurately as possible what each metric is, is telling you. So, inspired by Shepard's journey, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode of Property Investory, where we'll talk about the nuts and bolts of his strategy. It really is capital growth. That's, that, to me, is the bee's knees of, of property investing. Um, it's, it's so easy if you get it right. Like, all you have to do is get your research right, and there's no, there's no backbreaking labor. What Shepard is excited about in his plans for the next five years? The thing I'm most excited about is the products that we'll release either later this year uh, or early next year. Um, I think they're, they're going to be game changers and they're along the same lines of, of location score but just tenfold bigger. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.